Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Most loving Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have given us your word. And we pray this very morning that you would have your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, that we'd find within them your righteous rules, Lord, that we would find life according to your word. Lord, teach us uh, through the work of your spirit that we might be able to know the hope in which is found in the gospel. Help us to keep focused on what you have given to us in your word that we might behold your glory, give glory and honor to you. We pray all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in his name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Jude chapter, Jude 1 to 4. It's God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. After introducing himself in his letter, Jude tells the the author, the audience of this letter, exactly what he has written to try to accomplish. Now we'll look at the specific details of what this entails, but we need to note down, as Jude sat down to be able to write this letter to these people who were called, beloved, and kept, he he sat down thinking he was going to write a different letter. He informs that he wanted to write to them about their common salvation. But as Jude sat down to write this letter, the Holy Spirit carried his pen in a different direction. And he tells them that they need to be able to contend for the faith. Now this is a very important part that is often missed. That we need to wrap our heads around. Mainly that we put the gospel message at first degree importance. And then something like contending for the faith as second degree. Or a secondary issue. Now, I do believe that we need to understand and comprehend what the gospel is. That we need this, and we bring it up in our house every day. That as new believers, nevertheless, I think what we do when we we level things and say something is a secondary issue, that what we do is what we place in levels of importance to that the first thing is the only thing that ever matters. That it's all about the gospel, and often we fail to look at the effects of what that gospel does to be able to impact our lives. However, Jude, as he sat down to write this letter, instead of writing about this common salvation, what is first importance... 
He then writes about this secondary issue. Now we'll find out as we study this letter. If you don't, if you you look at these secondary issues, what you end up losing is that first issue, that, that first importance. You lose the gospel. But we need to understand, as Jude writes this letter, he, he focuses on what this impact is of the gospel in our lives. And we too, as believers, need to move past that solid, uh, the milk, to be able to move on to that solid food. We need not depart from that foundation of the gospel, but as we'll see, we build upon it. That foundation, which is Christ. So what does Jude explain about why he writes this letter to this, these people, these, call, these people who are called beloved and kept? The first thing that he says is they're to contend for the faith. That he says he writes this letter to be able to help those to contend for the faith. Now we need to understand these are fighting words. To contend is not merely just some minor disagreement, but these are, is not a pleasant encounter. This word is a term that means to fight in hand-to-hand combat between two soldiers. This is the exact same word that Paul uses, and he says that he has fought the good fight. He tells the Christians in Philippi, Philippia, uh, in uh, the church in Philippians, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and I see you or am absent, I hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. His word, the root word is used to to speak of an athlete exercising self-control. And when we think of the Christian life as something more pleasant, we, we speak of it as this Christian walk or Christian journey or pilgrimage. Now these are helpful in some sense of the movement, of the, the journey in which we go on a way to, to a destination of a pilgrimage that we not, do not find ourselves at home. But how often do we think of it as the Christian fight? Now, I'm not saying let's go and start a fight club for Christians. But how often do we see it as a Christian battle? Not against flesh and blood. We understand that we do not fight people, as Paul puts in the letter to the Ephesians. We wrestle rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness and spiritual forces of enemy evil in the heavenly places. And how do we do that? He explains that we put on the whole armor of God. But how ill-equipped we are as Christians to understand this vital point and truth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power that destroys strongholds. We understand that Christians are not home yet, but do we understand that we are in the middle of a battlefield? 
We need to be equipped with the right weapons of warfare. And Jude will show us what that means later in his letter. But what can we do today when we think about this? I think the first thing that we need to be able to understand is that we are in a battle. It's an important thing that we don't think about. How dangerous it would be to be able to walk in the middle of a battle and have no understanding or knowledge that you are in the middle of a battle. That you're in the line of fire. It is ignorance at that point that will get yourself killed. And it's not so much that you died in battle, it's that you did not even know that you were in battle, it's why you died. The Christians, we need to be aware that Satan is roaring like a, uh, roaring, roaming around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The second thing that we can do is keep in mind that, that we need to be then more aware and alert. Being on the forefront, knowing that the enemy can attack at any time, helps us stay out of danger and be prepared when danger is ever before us. Ignorance would be the one that would keep us dying of that first point, but the second would be that not being aware, alert, would be what causes the death in the second. So a Christian is to be able to know that we have a prowling lion, who is lurking in the thicket. Leo the Great said that there are no works of power, dearly beloved, without the trials of temptation. There is no faith without proof, no contest without a foe, no victory without conflict. This life of ours is in the midst of snares, in the midst of battles. We do not wish to be deceived. We must watch. If we want to overcome, we must fight. I think the third thing that we can understand today is that we need to understand that it is not a short battle, but one that is the length of our lifetime, that is lifelong. That is why Paul, at the end of his life, says that he has fought the good fight. He has finished the race. He has kept the faith. This is not a short-lived battle, but is always raging on this side of the river. We will lose some. We will get knocked down in this battle. We will get wounds. But we are kept by Christ. We are victorious only in Christ. Now Jude says that our common salvation is important, but we do need to know this. However, we cannot be ignorant of what this means, that we are to contend, to fight for this daily, hourly, again, not against people, but against powers, not with flesh, but in the Spirit. So as we contend for the faith, what are we then contending for? What are we fighting for? Jude explains that we're contending for the faith that has been delivered. 
What a glorious and succinct statement that would be great to look at in more detail. However, for the sake of time, let us briefly comment of each word. First, we notice that the definitive nature of this faith. It is not that we contend for my own personal faith, or even contend for your faith, but we contend for the faith. In a day and an age where everything is internalized and personalized, we need to be reminded that the faith we share is the same faith. As Paul says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We often only think as ourselves, yet the Bible speaks of the individual's faith, but what that individual is, is united to faith through Christ. United to Christ through faith is what can make such an important difference, especially when we think of the concept of warfare, that we're in this together, side by side, as Paul said to the Philippians. We're John the cross of the cross set. The devil prevails with ease over those who are alone and who are in the things of God, order themselves according to their own will. When we understand it is the faith that we share, then we fight as brothers and sisters in Christ side by side. The second thing is the faith. The word faith, this word means more than just a belief that one person shares, but speaks of the whole content of the gospel. Carl Truman calls this the creedal imperative. We have a scriptural basis for having statements of faith. And lastly, Jude explains that this is delivered to all the saints. Here we find out something very important about this faith that we are to contend for. That it is given or handed over. This is a faith that does not appear out of fresh air. That this faith is something that has been passed down. Handed over. Delivered. We do not get to make up or change what we want it to be. We need to understand that a Reformation was not some radical revolution, but it sought to be able to get back to that true essential faith which has been handed down, going back to the Scriptures, that many of the Reformers sought to lean on and to quote church fathers along with the Bible to show that this is not a new faith. But it is the faith that has been delivered to all the saints. And we too must contend for this faith which has been given to us. So we can deliver it to the next generation for them to be able to carry on. That every generation has this burden put upon them. That we should learn and pass on what scriptures teach us. But you also understand that every generation has a great burden upon them 
to hand down what has truly been passed. Jude, as he writes this letter that we must contend for the faith, explains that he must do so because some have departed from it. That the generation is seeking to be able to depart from that faith which has been delivered to them. They want to change what was delivered. And so too we notice that this is something that has crept in. Jude explains that some have crept in. He explains that they have done so without even being noticed. Again, when we do not understand that we're in this warfare, when we let our guard down, when we're not alert, we can miss what is happening around us. And we often think of those problems and issues are faced by the church or what happens outside. But we have many warnings in Scripture that the problems can arise from within. And sadly, this has been my experience with watching churches. Hardly is a church closed down from an external group that seeks to be able to attack them. Although this might come more common shortly. Many times I think the church is reluctant to know what of that faith that has been handed down to them. And they mix that up with the tradition which has come in from the culture. And that tradition then becomes an essential part, so they think, of what the church is. And they're more willing to cut, fight and contend for traditions which have become more essential than this faith. They would more willingly stay how they are than be more comfortable and rather than fighting. I mean, just look at some of the mainline denominations. Sadly, they ended up that way because they did not want to contend or did not contend for that faith which has been delivered. That false teachers crept in that become prevailing in their thought. Now, I'm not then saying we treat every member as a spy or look for the worst in people. But in every moment and every time, we should always hold the Bible up between us. Not getting dragged into small, petty arguments, but always seeking to find what the Bible says. Not what we want the Bible to say. And Jude is saying something here that is a hard pill to swallow for us in the church. That there are some within the church, those who profess to be called beloved and kept, are in fact ungodly. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it this way, the purest of churches under heaven are subject to both mixture and error. And as we continue to fight, we fight for that error to leave us. But we pray that we would never end up, as the Westminster Confession of Faith finally puts it, that we are so full of error that we become synagogues of Satan. Or as Paul tells the elders in Malthus on the beach, as he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. The warning Paul gives is for them is to pay attention to themselves and to all the flock. The elders have a direct calling to be able to shepherd those given to their cares, souls in which they are to watch. They have to give an account to God how they shepherd. But in this church, you can help them. You can help them in two different ways. The first is pray for them. As they seek to be able to pay attention to themselves... And encourage and exhort them in their Christian battle. But also, secondly, understand that they are charged to be able to pay attention to you as well. Dig deep. Do not just answer the question as they ask you, how are you going? As they ask for that question, how can I be praying for you? How can I be praying for your family? How can I encourage or exhort you in the Christian fight? This is not natural, but they are doing what they are called to do. To pay careful attention to themselves, but also to the flock. They are to contend for the faith. Jude tells of the reason why he has shifted his understanding of writing this letter to write about this common salvation that they must then contend for the faith. What teaching has crept into this church? And Jude spells out these two dangerous teachings that have crept into this church. That there is perverted grace and denial of Christ. We'll see this more unpacked in the next section is the largest book, the section in the book of Jude from verses 5 to verse 16. And even then again in verses 17, 18 and 19, we see this. But maybe a few comments to help us with understanding these problems. The first we see is one of perversion. The perversion is taking something good and then twisting and distorting it. Notice what they are distorting, though. They're distorting and perverting the grace of God. This great thing, but these false teachers that have crept in unnoticed, are distorting the grace of God. Now we begin to understand why then this secondary issue then of contending for the faith becomes a primary issue. If we do not work out the details or fight for truth in how we present important doctrines such as the grace of God, then what you end up is a different gospel altogether, a different religion altogether. Grace ceases to be true grace. What they do is they twist and disturb grace, calling it grace, but what it is in fact is sensuality. I actually prefer all other translations of this word, which is licentiousness in the New American Standard Bible, or license to immorality in the NIV, or lewdness in the New King James Version. 
Just because people use a biblical term such as grace does not mean they use it in a biblical way. Sadly, we take something like grace of God and we turn it into an excuse of, to do what we want. But what we end up doing is we misunderstand the grace of God. We then are not saved from our past sins. But this grace that is given to us through faith is that we might be in his craftsmanship in good works. Not only we're saved, but we're saved for a purpose. We love to point out those who are legalistic. But sadly, we have not done a good job of pointing out the errors of those who pervert the grace of God. We see the grace of God as a ticket to heaven, not as a God-given gift from God with many blessings. And I think this is the major problem in the church today. Not that of legalism, although that is ever-present. We do not know the glorious task that is given to those who are called, beloved, and kept. That we are to show others, not just the love of God, but His holiness through becoming more like His Son. His mercy and His graciousness towards others. Paul warns, of not only false teachers who perverse God's grace, but men and women who follow these false teachers because it seems good to them and how they live. He warns Timothy. He says the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. How cautious then we need to be not to twist or distort God's word for our own means to be able to scratch that itch in our ear. Not to be able to distort it, to take something that is good and then turn it into twisted evil. But we do this not only with God's grace, but many, if not all, of the doctrines. But secondly, we also see Jude warns them, you might say those creepers who have crept in, and they have denied Christ, mainly his kingship and lordship. Again, I think you can see why this short letter is such a letter filled with timeless truth. 2,000 years old, and you could think that Jude was a pastor sitting down to write an online blog today. How quick. We are often to be able to say that Jesus is my Redeemer, but how slow we are to understand and grasp that Jesus is also my King. 
More quick we might be to say that Jesus is my Savior, but not my Lord. However, there's an essential part of making disciples is not only that he comes to be able to save us from our sins, but to be able to save us from our sins and not to sin anymore. To be able to walk in a way of this newness of life as we were dead and buried with Christ in his death and raised in our baptism to be able to walk in this newness of life. That as we make disciples, we too would teach them what Jesus has taught us, that we might be able to do it. That both of these things are heavily connected. You pervert the grace of God into licentiousness, then what you end up having is we see no law given to us by Christ. That what often people call legalism is not legalism at all. Legalism is adding to God's word or law. But merely saying this is what Jesus has taught us is not legalism at all. Do we find Christians should be marked? That they are, as Jude put it earlier, slaves or bondservants of Christ. That we are not our own, that we are bought body and soul and belong not to ourselves, but belong to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That we live as those who are called, beloved, and kept. Now the stark reality that is before us in this passage is that you fit into one of two categories. That you are fighting for this faith that has been handed down to all the saints or you are heading to condemnation. We are either fight and contend for what is given to us, or we listen and follow to those who have twisted and distorted for our own means. Jude tells us what will happen to those who do such a thing. And then, as always, we need to ask for God's help in all of this, to be able to understand that this faith that we fight for is a faith worth fighting for, and that if we twist and distort the true essence of the gospel, we lose the gospel in its entirety. Because a gospel without grace is no gospel at all. There is no good news in a gospel that is twisted and distorted. It has no grace from God, but is only sensuality, licentiousness. A gospel without Jesus is no gospel at all. He is then not our Lord, not our Master, not our Savior, not our Redeemer. There is no good news in that. So as we look at this letter, 
and see of what this false teaching shows us. We pray that we'd be not kept for condemnation, but we would be kept to be able to be presented to our Lord and Savior. Blameless before the presence of His glory, that Jesus Christ would do it with great joy. And to Him be the glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O most gracious and holy Father, we give you thanks and praise that your word is indeed a lamp and a light unto our feet. Lord, that we often are prone to wander into darkness and prone to listen to our itching ears rather than to follow what you have given to us in your word. We pray as we continue to study this letter, we would seek to find the true essence of the gospel and the hope and how even secondary things are erosions of the first things of importance. That if we lose what we might call secondary things, that we lose the good news of the gospel found in Jesus Christ. You pray, we pray that you would help us to be able to contend, to fight in this world. Lord, to be able to contend for the faith which has been delivered to all the saints. We pray in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.